Welcome to How to Talk to Kids About Anything with Dr. Robin Silverman, a podcast loaded with practical tips, powerful scripts, personal stories, and simple steps to make even the toughest conversations easier. So get ready to get the information you need to make the impact you want from someone you trust, your friend, parenting expert, Dr. Robin Silverman. Hello and welcome to How to Talk to Kids About Anything, where we give you the tips, scripts, stories, and steps to make even the toughest conversations easier. I'm so honored to be your host, Dr. Robin Silverman, child and teen development specialist, author, and speaker, and most importantly, parent of two great kids who give me the opportunity to love, learn, and grow every single day, whether I want to or not. Believe me, I get it. It's not always easy, but we're in this together, and we have some great people helping us along the way. Imagine these scenes. A kindergartner whose father pinches her on the arm at night once for every time her teacher wrote the girl's name on the behavior chart at school that day. A three-year-old in foster care who was found sitting in a car by the side of the road with his mother who was passed out at the wheel. His daycare center teacher sends him to the timeout room for challenging behaviors. A 10-year-old is diagnosed with oppositional defiant disorder. His teachers say he is chronically disruptive, always seeking attention. His problematic behaviors began after his family relocated to a new state. My next guest says that we are too quick to look at behaviors as attempts to annoy and disrupt rather than what they truly represent, observable responses to internal and external experiences. And here's the problem with that. When we fail to recognize that many behaviors represent the body's response to stress, not intentional misbehavior, we expend effort on techniques designed to help children logically connect their thoughts, emotions, and behaviors, and then change them when they simply can't yet. Instead, we need to see the behavior that is problematic and confusing and not ask ourselves, how do we get rid of it? But rather, what is this telling us about that child? The answer will then guide us to come up with the best approach to help that individual child thrive. Mona Delahook, PhD, is a clinical child psychologist with a passion for supporting families and children. She has worked widely with multidisciplinary teams in the areas of trauma, developmental and emotional differences for 25 years. She is a senior faculty member of the Profectum Foundation and is a trainer and consultant to schools and agencies, including the Los Angeles Department of Mental Health. Her blog, The Visible Parent, and book, Social and Emotional Development in Early Intervention, explore the latest translational applications of neuroscience to social and emotional development. She's also the author of Beyond Behaviors, Using Brain Science and Compassion to Understand and Solve Children's Behavioral Challenges. I'm so excited to have you on the show. So welcome, Mona Delahook, to How to Talk to Kids About Anything. Hi, Robin. Thank you so much for having me on. Well, I'm thrilled to have you on. I thought your book was great beyond behaviors. I thought that was a really good book. I loved all the stories. I loved how you enlightened us with this is not what's going on. This is what's going on. But before we delve into everything, for those who haven't yet gotten their hands on your books, what gets you up in the morning and what inspired you to focus on looking beyond children's behaviors and really trying to understand who the child is and what we can truly do to help address what's below the surface? Well, that's 
you know, that's such a good question. If, if you ask people who know me, I could just immediately start talking about how we can view behaviors as positive instead of negative. Mm-hmm. I love challenging behaviors mm-hmm. and that's kind of, um, as I've, as I've grown, you know, first as a mom and then, uh, as a psychologist, I discovered that the stuff that I learned in graduate school really was pretty outdated. Mm -hmm. And once I started using a different frame of reference, um, the kids that I was consulting with at schools and in homes, um, all of a sudden their challenging behaviors were really, um, they were going away really fast. Hmm. So what gets me up in the morning is hope and is providing a pathway that happens to involve the latest brain science, but the mo- in, in the most deepest sense, um, using love and compassion to help our vulnerable children instead of blaming them for challenging behaviors. So that's what I do every day, and that's what gets me up in the morning, and I'm, I'm thrilled to be able to write about it and blog about it and talk with you about it. Well, I'm so appreciative of it because, um, you know, we're all dealing with challenging behaviors and our natural knee-jerk reactions is often to correct what we see. Now, you say in your book that when we look at children's behaviors and then respond to them with logic, often our assumptions about why the child is doing these behaviors is wrong. You say that we need to look not at the tip of the iceberg, and this is a theme throughout your book, the obvious behaviors, but rather underneath them to understand what's really going on and how to best respond. So can you explain what you mean by this? Absolutely. So if if you picture an iceberg, um, the the tip of the, the the amount of the iceberg above the waterline that we know as the tip of the iceberg um, is really only ten about ten percent of the iceberg, and ninety percent of that big chunk of ice lies below the waterline. So I like to uh, describe the, those behaviors we see in not only children but in everybody as um, as the tip, as what's going on. Uh, in terms of somebody moving or saying something or or doing something. But the causes and triggers, the motivating factors, the reasons essentially for those behaviors are invisible. Mm. And those are found inside the child's brain and body and um, through a child's individual differences and all, all those things that I list under, you know, underneath mm-hmm. the waterline that once we get to, if, if we just look at what's going on, if we see the behavioral challenge, which is typically what as a parent we, we do mm-hmm. and often teachers do as well, we are not reaching the root causes mm-hmm. and we're just doing a band-aid on something that we don't know what um you know we don't exactly know what's causing it and when we do it could completely change our approach mm-hmm. i really i really liked what you were saying in the book and how many examples you gave of what that looks like the tip of the iceberg versus what's below the iceberg where somebody might be 
tantruming above the surface and we're so you know our knee-jerk reaction would be to you know tell the child to either calm down which is totally useless um or right. you know get up um or or you know get get a control over themselves and stop yeah. it and knock it off but what are you saying then for for an example of you know a child is doing the classic tantrum on the floor uh, of the grocery store what would be an example? I mean, obviously it's going to be different for each child, but what would be an example of what might be below the surface that we're actually supposed to be looking at instead of correcting what's above the surface as the first thing that we do? Okay, so great question. Um, let's take, we, we can take a toddler um, tantruming at a grocery store or a child mm-hmm. uh, tantruming at a grocery store because it seems like they wouldn't get the um, the candy bar that they mm-hmm. wanted to sure. pick up pick up and put in the basket. So what might be going on uh, once that tantrum starts? Uh, and let's just define a tantrum too. We would we would define it as um, we, what we can see mm-hmm. um, is a child maybe yelling, flailing, uh, complaining, uh, hitting. Crying out of kind of those those behaviors where the, their face is red, you can you you can get a sense that that behavior is has uh, some connection to their body. Mm-hmm. So a tantrum is what we call a bottom up behavior. Mm-hmm. What is that? A bottom up behavior is one in which the child is not in intentional control. They're not saying to themselves, I'm going to cre- scream and shout right now. Mm-hmm. But it's a response to stress. Mm-hmm. And at response to stress, we are not in intentional control of our behaviors. Our emotions are in control. So in that per- in that example, you'll have a child tantruming in the tip of the iceberg, but underneath you will have different um, emotions, different memories, sensations going on in in the body. The child may be so tired that they can't manage the ability to control their emotions and so we have a tantrum ensuing. Mm. Uh, and so this this whole idea of considering this fact that some behaviors are not children's uh, um, desire to get attention or to get their own way. They are responses to stress mm. and I think that's one of the that's that's a theme, one of the themes throughout Beyond Behaviors. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you talk about these top-down and bottom-up behaviors, that stress response versus in- intentionally challenge- challenging behaviors. And so in that case, when you're talking about this is, an, this is not in- intentional, this is a stress response, um, why would you say that that really matters in the way that we regard the child? Like, why does it matter that we have to actually come up with, is this bottom up or top down? Is this a stress response or is this intentional? E- either way, if you ask that parent in that grocery store, they just want it to stop. So what would you say to that? They certainly do just want it to stop. Mm-hmm. Um, but if they have an idea that the child is actually suffering Mm -hmm. versus this child has to get with the program and understand that life's not fair, Mm -hmm. (laughs) which I often felt as a mom, Mm -hmm. you know, come on, honey, you, uh, 
just buck up. Mm -hmm. This is life. You can't have that thing right now. Mm -hmm. Or you need to get dressed for school right now. Mm -hmm. So, but we have this voice in our head, I think as parents that tell us we, we, that discipline and correction is the, is the thing we need to do in a situation where our child is melting down or our child is having behaviors that we are embarrassed about. Mm -hmm. So shift the lens on that to understanding that if a human being, think about us as adults, just remember the last time you felt super upset and maybe said or did something to your, uh, to your partner, to someone you love, an adult you love, and their response was to get mad at you mm -hmm. or to ignore you, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Human beings, when they're suffering and they are reprimanded, they feel worse. Mm. They don't feel better. Mm -hmm. This and is so, a good point, yes. Right? And so if a child, that's why it's critical to understand if it's a top-down or bottom-up behavior. Mm -hmm. Because we have um, what I describe as an expectation gap. We believe that children have intentional control over their emotions and behaviors um, way sooner than they actually do. Right, right. And we can talk, of, that's a little bit of brain development, but we could talk about that later. Yes, so the right. short answer to your story is we need to understand top down from bottom up so that we can know when to use compassion and when to use logic and our, our um you know, discipline. So I'm going to push it on this because I yeah. feel like my audience is sure. going, okay, let's, let's get into this. So like, obviously we've all experienced our children's frustrating behaviors. Um, we've experienced students um, in, if in the case of teachers and coaches who are listening and, you know, we've seen needling the sibling, tantruming about stopping a favorite behavior because it's time for a bed or dinner, in school not listening to a teacher, tapping a pencil that's infuriating to the person next to them, even though the person next to them have said, stop, stop, I don't like it, blah, blah, blah. Yes, of course, yes. you know, the, like we said, the quintessential meltdown at the grocery store. So how can parents know when to discipline and then when to empathize, in, in the case that you're talking about, when a child does something that's disruptive or appears defiant? The great question. And there's the answer is that you have to know your child's individual differences. Mm -hmm. You have to take a survey of what, what are those things in your child's life that are difficult to do or to mm -hmm. manage mm -hmm. your let's just take your example of a, a kid tapping um their mm -hmm. a, a student tapping their pencil on the table at school mm -hmm. right and the guy next to the, the student next to um her is just like so um <laughs> aggravated by yes. that sound and the teacher has asked that student to stop pounding the pencil yes. so let's think about the student who's doing the behavior uh, a, a repetitive behavior like that is very often, once we look at that child's individual differences, is a way of managing being in a certain situation. So, for example, I know a lot of students who will have repetitive behaviors inside, inside of a classroom because they're having a hard time staying still mm -hmm. or sitting sitting for that long, mm -hmm. or maybe the hum of the air conditioner in that room is really starting to bother them. Mm. But 
don't know it because it's subconscious and they will start tapping their foot or, or, or tapping the desk. It's an adaptive behavior and we have such discrimination against behaviors thinking that they're all odd. If they're loud, they're wrong. But in that case, the, most of the behaviors that I see in kids, like tapping on the desk, for example, have an adaptive component to it. Mm. Mm-hmm. So that child's individual differences, we would want to approach with, wow, that's, a t- honey, tapping on that desk right now, it seems like you really need that. Um, let us let me help you figure out if, if that's the best way to go, or maybe there might be something else that would help you feel better too. Mm. Because your friend sitting next to you, that's a little bit hard for his ears to take. And then we're also having compassion for the child sitting next to them who may have auditory sensitivity. Mm, mm, mm. So the two words, individual differences, children's behaviors are so meaningful. And they really are a roadmap to their their body-mind connection. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And I think what you're saying is really important and that it's, it's something that is individualized, that we get to know the particular child, that we're empathizing with them and also allowing them to see how their behavior affects other people without shaming them and making them feel bad about it, um, but rather coming up with something that deals with what it is that they need in that moment, but at the same time takes into consideration somebody else. Is that right? Oh, that's a beautiful summary. Absolutely. And that was, I think that's one of the, the, well, it's one of the big components of of Beyond Behaviors because I, I spend a whole chapter on helping teachers and parents figure out what their child's or student's individual differences are. And, um, I'll just tell you, they fit broadly into four big categories, Mm. processes in the body, sensations, feelings, and thoughts. So that those four category, big categories can contain millions of individual differences. So So in that, if we were to look at the child who had the repetitive behavior of tapping the pencil, what would be an example that you might find in each of those four categories? Well, it would, uh, it, there's no, it, it's not always each of the four. Okay. Okay. Right. Okay. So for, let's just take that example, for example, uh, that, that example, um, in that example, the child had a need in their, uh, actually two, the body processes and sensation. So mm-hmm. this child, um, she was having a hard time. It was now going on about 18 minutes of sitting still and having to work on a worksheet. And her body started to have that need to move. Mm-hmm. In her regular life, she likes to move a lot. Mm-hmm. And her body needs that movement to stay calm and regulated in her nervous system. Mm-hmm. So she starts tapping the pencil uh, because that's a, a, a type of movement she can get, and mm-hmm. she and she can't get up because it's not recess yet. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that would be in her sensation, in her sensory processing system, mm-hmm. her need to move, her physiological need to move. Mm-hmm. And then we may we may say to a child, um, you know, the message that we often give in in schools, for example, um, is that we assume that all children have the same sensory needs mm, or right. needs, right? Yes. 
And our younger kids, oh my gosh, well, even our, even through grade school and beyond, these sensory needs are not in preferences. They are actual needs. Mm. And I've learned so much from the teams I've worked with. Um, most of my teams have occupational therapists on them where they have showed me and, and taught me how important um, how each child processes information through their sensory systems is. Mm-hmm. And so um, again, that's it's a little bit complex, but I try to simplify it um, in in uh, beyond behaviors because yes. it gives the road a, a, a sensory body roadmap. Mm-hmm. So we can work with our children from their body up and from their brain down. Mm-hmm. But now we tend to just talk to children. We we will talk to them till we're blue in the face, and oftentimes. <laughs> It doesn't help, right? Right, right, exactly. As we're on the podcast, how to talk to kids about anything, but always understanding (laughs) that there's so much more we have to do um, in terms of understanding children in order for those conversations at all to be effective. So, you know. And the way I view your podcast is that when you when you use the word talking, it's involving how we are in yes. addition to what we say. Of right? course. Of because course. you are so holistic in your thinking. Thank so, you. Yeah. I appreciate that. Um, and, and, you know, this is sort of in the same vein, uh, but I kind of wanted to get into this. There, th- there's so many great examples in your book of all different types of children showing all different types of behaviors that could be deemed problematic. And you advise us as the parents and the teachers and the coaches, you advise us to look into the child's autonomic pathway as well as our own. And you talk about the green pathway, the red pathway, and the blue pathway. So what do these mean and how can they help us? understand our children and the way we can help children yes oh I love the pathways and it's the I chose the colors because when we think about the autonomic nervous system I mean even when I say that word that used to run shivers down my spine because I'm not a neuroscientist right forget it yeah let's not talk about brain development yeah just tell me what to do tell me how to help our kids yes Yes, yes. So let's yeah, all you have to do is think about three colors, okay? Yes. All human beings have three main ways of being in the world. We're when we're green, uh, we're calm, we are listening, we are present, we are able to remember things. Uh, we are you know when your child is in the green mm-hmm. zone, right? In mm-hmm. the green way. It, uh, your child is available. They can play. They can laugh. They're cooperative. It's the zone. It's, it's the delightful. It's delightful. It's, it's delightful. the delightful zone. <laughs> yes. Yes. So when we're green, um, but if you're human, you're not green all the time. Right. And when you're not green, you can go to two different other areas. Mm-hmm. Um, and by the way, when we're green, we are able to do something that is the most powerful thing human beings do, and that is have social engagement. Right, it's the we connection, can, right? That connection. Of connection. We can yes. talk to others. We can ask for help when we need it. Mm-hmm. So when we're when that doesn't work, human beings start to distress, and when the he, social engagement system doesn't work, we go red. And what is that? Um, think about if you've heard about the fight or flight system mm-hmm. when. When social engagement doesn't work, we move away. We str- we can become aggressive. Children can strike out. They can hit, yell, scream. That's more along the toddler or the kid in the um, grocery store mm-hmm. 
tantrum. Uh, in a, but adults, we all have these this this red place. Of course, we can all remember the last time we lost control. Mm, maybe this morning. Maybe this morning. Maybe this morning. Maybe, yeah. Yes. Maybe last night. Yes. And so it's it's a human. It's it's one of our humans human um, pathways. And mm-hmm. and actually, it's if we think about it, all of these pathways are adaptive in that they evolved to help humans escape difficult situations. Mm-hmm. So millions of years ago, um, one of the ways, if, if, you, if you, everything was fine, uh, then it, if it wasn't, you could run away or mm-hmm. fight, mm-hmm. right? So we have the fight or flight, win the red. But then there's a third one, and with, we use the color blue to describe disconnection. Mm. And this is one that I want parents to be particularly aware of, yes. because signals vulnerability mm-hmm. and when we a child disconnects when they are in the blue pathway when they're not wanting to talk to you when they are looking down with a sad yes. look on, when they seem like they're looking through you and not at mm. you the blue is a position that human beings get to when the other two don't work mm. the mm. green and the red don't work mm-hmm. so I would honestly rather see a, uh, a argumentative, defiant, oppositional child than a child who's starting to disconnect. Right, that shutdown mode. That, that shutdown. That's yeah, very serious. Yes, yeah. So we want teachers and parents to look out for uh, shutdown and to seek to seek professional help. Really, if they feel that their child is moving towards that, they can. It can lead to depression and feelings of hopelessness. And so we want children to begin to reach out to us to get mm-hmm. back green as as quickly as is um, uh, appropriate. For you know, it's interesting when you're saying that because. Um, you know, we've all seen our own children at times, and what you're talking about is, you know, when they're doing it over and over again, but we've all seen our children at times shut down and uh, maybe put their hands over their face or, you know, turn away and that kind of thing. And um, sometimes that can be seen by people as defiance, like that they're not listening because they have turned away from you or they're not looking up at you. And we're saying to them, look at me, turn around, show me some respect. And and just to be aware, because look, we all have made this mistake in the past of thinking that that type of behavior is defiance. But what you're saying is very important that when a child is doing those kinds of things, it can signal something very different, that shutdown where they feel disconnected and unheard and unseen. Mm, that is such a good point. I love that point, Robin. Yes, um, and in in small doses, of course, with these with these colors, we're talking about um, if it persists day yes. after day yes. or month after month. But what you just said is so important because a child looking away and uh, moving physically away mm-hmm. from you during a heated discussion mm-hmm. is can be viewed as a really good adaptive response Mm. and message to us Mm -hmm. like oh wow they're working they're struggling through something right now they need a little bit of space Mm -hmm. and to demand eye contact um, when a child is is in the blue zone uh, because we default to these we default to these pathways instinctively Mm. it's not not a choice Mm. Um, that Mm. move Way can be so so 
adaptive. Mm-hmm. And at that moment, the nice thing to say might be something like, wow, I, I can tell this conversation is really tough. Mm-hmm. I, I just want you to know this is I'm here with you and we're, this is a, a little time of suffering for both of us but mm-hmm. I'm here for you right. I mean that can be our signal to know that we need to socially engage mm. rather than demand uh, respect or more attention mm. wow that's incredibly powerful and and I think you've probably opened the eyes to to many people just with that one simple statement um, because it, it's it is something that we often mistake and I think it is important to highlight that and also be able to say look it sounds like you may it looks like to me that you might need some space for a little bit um, do you right. want me to stay here with you or or would you like me to um, go in the other room I will be available to you and how about um, I come back and check in on you in a couple of minutes because each child again is going to need something different in that moment um, and and respect those differences instead of pushing your own agenda is going to be really important. Mm, it, it really is. Mm-hmm. And, and as we're talking about this, I, I'm, I'm imagining and something happening that I don't want parents to to come away with mm. from what I just said, and that is the G word, guilt. Oh um, yes, of course. I just want to say that what I what I just described is 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 a new way of looking at things and i i want the ideas that i that i present to parents to be a no shame no blame yes. zone this that is us here at that, this podcast yay yes, okay definitely together everything that i just described that that would amp a child up i have done to my own I, that's what i was saying like that's what i'm like this morning I, it yeah. is we we're learning so much through this podcast and all the wonderful experts that we have but that doesn't mean that we're not human so we still that's make right. the mistakes but it's just helping us to see them a little bit sooner and then we can be like oh wait there it is like this is what's happening now I can either approach it differently or if I didn't approach it differently I can do something about it and say whoops I made <laughs> I made that's this mistake right. Absolutely, <laughs> right. and that's why I have a whole chapter on self-compassion yes I really think that our our compassion for ourselves as moms and dads and caregivers and and teachers mm-hmm. and everybody is like taking a moment saying wow you know, I did something instinctively, but it's very likely that's how we were raised. And so you would just go, wow, this is a moment. I'm going to forgive myself or I'm going to have some compassion for this tough moment right now and try to maybe think about my child's behaviors in a, in a different way. And um, so it can be kind, it can be liberating, but most of all, we need to be gentle on ourselves. The more gentle we are on ourselves, the more gentle and more um, present we can be for our kids. Yes, yeah, so we were talking to um, Jessica Alexander who talks about parenting the Danish way and she was talking about the default settings that we get to because that was how we were raised and, and it's it mm-hmm. takes a lot to, to go against our own default settings um, so right. to give ourselves some compassion. So as we move into strategies and you've mentioned this earlier in the podcast, but I just want to highlight it because it's really important. You said something that I, I, I actually starred in my copy of your book. I mean, I write all over my books. Nobody, oh, can, great. nobody can borrow my books. Like this is yeah, ridiculous. Yeah, no, I am writing on, I'm, I'm just, I read, I read and write. Of course, time. like it's, it, it, that is part of how I read. I have to read with a pen in my hand. Um, so I noted this on the top of the page after you were talking about watching a child, Mateo, dry, trying to get his AIDS attention. And then 
after she sort of, you know, shifted away and because she was told that, you know, if he tries to do this, then, you know, don't respond because it's not, you know, it's unwanted behavior. And then he leaned back in his chair and it toppled over and then he was taken to the calm down room. And you say, and this, you mentioned this before, but as I sat in the back of the room, um, I was reminded that we often target behaviors for elimination before we understand their adaptive purpose for a child. And yeah. and so, you know, the, the idea that you were talking about before, the pencil that's tapping on, you know, you're tapping a pencil um, and that adaptive, that's an adaptive behavior because you need to get up and, and get out of the chair, right? Um, yes. And yes. so if we could look at one more of those types of behaviors that would be, you know, very common in a, a person's life um, so that, you know, our, our parents and our educators can really, you know, understand it a little bit more. The idea that um, sometimes our response can make it worse in particular than better. So what would be an example of like a behavior that, a child might do that's adaptive and then our response that might make it worse and then what we should do instead what would be an example of that well here's a here's a here's a simple example mm-hmm. simple is good okay so how about trouble going to bed okay good because right that's a, like that's a typical one for mm-hmm. six cups of water um one more snuggle another book Right. Um, something like that yes, in, 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 in the child that I'm thinking of. Now, remember, every single child is different. So what I'm talking about, whenever I talk about one unique child, it's not going to be your child. Right. It's going to be this child that I've treated or this, you know, no two children are the same. Right. But in this example, um, I see so many kids whose parents are really frustrated and feel manipulated by their kids because they can't, they won't go to bed. Right. And um, for some kids, uh, when we use the approach of, of this is, uh, you need to figure out how to do this, mm-hmm. and we've gone through the five cups of water, and now it's bedtime, close it, the door, and then the child walk, continues to walk out, and then, you know, parents do all sorts of things, mm-hmm. like um, having them lose privileges or right. trying to put a little lock on the, on the door, right. I mean, all, all sorts of stuff. So in, in, in the example I'm thinking of, if we look underneath the tip of the iceberg for a child who may not be having difficulty with understanding the rules, we would have something known as emotional regulation as a challenge. What is that? That is the ability to feel safe and calm when you're by yourself. Mm-hmm. And it's one of our kids' struggles. Uh, it's it's one of it's a developmental challenge, and for some kids, it's harder than others. Mm-hmm. So, the the approach that we would use to to um, help a child who isn't um, following directions, going to bed on time, mm-hmm. um, you know, being able to calm themselves down without seeing or hearing or touching the parent, mm-hmm. would be to imagine that on the tip of the iceberg is this, uh, what looks like defiance, but underneath the child, we would want to ask, is this child having um, some stress or some anxiety 
when the lights are off and they can't hear, see, or touch me. Mm -hmm. So the underlying cause would be it's adaptive because the child is using the green pathway, which is the social engagement pathway, to calm down. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's a flip from thinking this child is not understanding Mm -hmm. that there are rewards and consequences to getting to bed on time. Mm -hmm. Right? Mm -hmm. So it really flips our, it flips our lens. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's the kids that I've, the the kids that I've treated who have difficulty getting, um, you know, falling asleep or separating from their parents. Once the parents realize that it, this isn't necessarily a behavior problem, but an emotional co-regulation problem, Mm -hmm. opens up a whole pathway to help them better. Okay, and what would be an example of one of the ways that they help them in that regard instead of punishing them? Well, uh, if that's the case, so, you know, if that was the case, let's just say for a a child that was the case, that Mm -hmm. it was really scary. Yeah. Rather than going to get, like, the third cup of water, the parent would have that light bulb moment, and they would go back in, they'd go, hmm, wow, I wonder, you just had two cups of water, maybe you're not so thirsty, but maybe we can talk about what it's like when you've trying to fall asleep without mommy here and you can't see me or touch me. Mm-hmm. Is mm-hmm. that maybe a little bit tough for you? You know, we can open up a conversation. Now, some kids won't be able to talk about it mm-hmm. yet because it won't be in their consciousness. Right. If they if they just start to cry when you said that or, or, or deny it, then you'll know, all right, we need to go a little bit lower. So what would that look like? And that might look like... Um, creating a, a really a new sleep hygiene routine for the family whereby you're using a, an hour before sleep you're starting to connect emotionally and intentionally with helping the child settle down their body and if you're looking for actual signs of the child being in the green pathway mm-hmm. and oftentimes our kids we put them to bed when they're when they're on the light green to light red mm-hmm. um, they're just not ready to mm-hmm. calm their physiology down. Mm-hmm. So it's um, it really it, it's really reading the child's body and mind connection, mm-hmm. and it's that's uh, again uh, kind of it's hard to uh, describe a whole book in yes, know, no, of course, of course, minutes, but of that's course. Where we're kind of going with it is right. how to read your child's body mind connection, what they need from you to feel safe. And once they feel safe, oftentimes what we used to consider the behavioral problems no longer exist. You you go into detail about a boy named Daryl who like, you know, what is it like to be a happy camper? I remember this in your book. Like, what's it like to be a happy camper? And, and, and what does it make you, you know, what makes you feel like you want to explode? And what brings you back to being a happy camper? And I, I think it's, it's so neat to actually be able to get the kids on board to yes. help themselves like that they, they may even have insight when is that even a possibility that they can kind of be on board to help them themselves and kind of converse with you to co-create a, a system right. that will work for them oh it's so exciting when they get there mm. but if you noticed that isn't until chapter six of, of course. the book right so it is very it it we think about most books for uh, most books on parenting 
make the assumption the assumption that the child can talk to you and work with you on creating their own solutions. Right. And that is a false assumption. Yes. Most children don't have that top-down ability. That that top-down ability starts begins to come in at three and a half and it ends in the mid twenties, twenty to thirty is what mm -hmm. most neuroscientists say is when we finally have executive function and that is starting to um, con that is starting to inform our emotional system. Mm -hmm. And so it's a wide range. They keep on making it later and later. So it's kind of, <laughs> <That's> <laughs> you know, it probably goes yes. all throughout the lifespan. Yes. But, um, the way we, we assess um, is very elegant, actually. And it's through understanding six um, very basic milestones of development. And um, once a child has reached the level of being able to talk about their feelings, mm -hmm. then it's called social problem solving. Then we know we can start to engage them in creating their own solutions with us. Mm -hmm. And kids, once they're there, you'll, you'll know once they're there because when we, um, you know, when you talked about, I was, we, we just, we have them describe, what's that like mm -hmm. when you feel, and then we describe the, the red pathway. Mm -hmm. And then, and we have children name it. And what's it like? And, um, you know, the, I think Daryl and Matt said fireworks for red. Mm -hmm. Yes, yes. Camper for green. And so he gets to come up with his own words yes. for it. We don't, I purposefully don't use the colors because in a lot of uh, schools, um, colors are being used as uh, kind of uh, tracking charts for mm -hmm. kids. Sure, sure, sure. You, yes, yes, behaviorally, yes. Behaviorally, that's more like public shaming, like move your it's, color. From, oh, gosh, it's terrible. Move, move your car. Yes, right. agreed. No, and so, so that's why I did not include colors in, in, in it. I did having the child name their body and mind experiences, mm -hmm. and kids love to do this, but once they're ready. Yes. So just... Uh, parents can can no don't you don't 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 be discouraged if you try this and your child can't do it yet just yes. build the foundation and it will come I I mean I feel like I could talk to you all day because all of this is so interesting mm -hmm. to me I feel like we we need to like have another one of this so that we can go into like neurodiversity and you know all of that but there's so much I know there's so much to go into so we just I've had people on three different times so far for like three or four they just keep coming back but for now why don't you give us your top tip what do you really want us to come away with with when, when we're looking beyond behaviors to help kids really to thrive and and help them do their very best in life I would say the takeaway from from today would be that the most severely challenging behaviors in many of our children are actually stress responses. Mm -hmm. So we need to have compassion for ourselves as parents and caregivers and teachers, and also compassion for our kids so that we can um, reframe the way we view these challenges. And it once we do this, and once we see that, um, there's a there's another way to look at behaviors as a child struggling. Um, really awesome, wonderful, loving things happen. Mm -hmm. Okay, beautifully said. Uh, just such an interesting uh, podcast interview. I'm so appreciative of that. Give us your resource of the week. Where can people go to get more information about you and your books and all the wonderful things you're doing? 
Oh, thanks. Yeah, visit me at uh, uh, my uh, com. my name, and uh, I have some stuff on, on YouTube as well. And my book is uh, Beyond Behaviors. My blog is uh, as as well at um, monadelahook.com. And, um, yeah, I'd love to hear from parents, love to hear their feedback about the book. Mm-hmm. Uh, email me and uh, find me on uh, on my site. And I'm just so excited to, to know your community. And, Robin, thank you again so much for having me on. Oh, it's my pleasure. I, I just loved your insight and your strategies around looking beyond behaviors. And I know that this will not be the last time I have you on. I think people are going to absolutely love this. So thank you for being being on today. And I I truly appreciate your time. You bet. Take care. Well, I've got my takeaways and sweet friends. I know you have yours. Let's discuss them. Come up on Facebook. We can go to the Dr. Robin Silverman page or let's chat about it at drrobinsilverman.com or twitter.com slash drrobin. I'm also on Instagram at drrobinsilverman. I will be going back and forth with Mona Delahook about all of this. And you know I'll be creating memes based on what she said because these are shareable ideas and I want you to know them and love them and share them with everybody because these are things people need to hear. I hope you'll also go up to iTunes and rate and review it so other people will learn more about these outstanding solutions, understanding more about Mona Delahook and all the things that she's providing through Beyond Behaviors. I truly appreciate it. That's all the time we have for today, my fellow parents, leaders, and educators. Thank you so much for tuning in to How to Talk to Kids About Anything. For more information on books, articles, speaking engagements, or curriculum, please visit drrobinsilverman.com. So many great podcasts up there, and the show notes to this podcast will be up there as well. I look forward to weathering the storms and enjoying the sunny side of life together. And please remember, even on the days when you fall short, you've got this. Remember, no shame, no blame. You're here. You're getting the information you need. I know it's not easy, but never forget there's always tomorrow. Parenting is the ultimate do-over. I see you, and I'm right there with you. And as there are moments when we doubt our know-how, our choices, and our sweet sanity, please know you are 10 times the parent you think you are. Until next time, this is Dr. Robin Silverman with How to Talk to Kids About Anything. Please tune in again and keep connecting through conversation. See you next week. You've been listening to How to Talk to Kids About Anything with Dr. Robin Silverman. For more information,